Expanding our knowledge through those among us is a privilege we take for granted. Join me as we explore the minds of our fellow beings to unlock their knowledge for ourselves. Greetings, fellow travelers and storytellers. Welcome to another special entry of the Arthurian Anthologies podcast. In this episode, I have Ryan Kayon, my current dungeon master and an avid world builder. Quick disclaimer, at the time of recording this, I have come down with a case of COVID-19, so we had to record our episode on Discord. So if there were a few mishaps during, during the recording session, I apologize for that. Um, but if you are a game master of a sort, or even an aspiring writer looking to gain some insights into your next project, feel free to listen to our discussion as we dive into different elements we go through in order to craft wondrous worlds and epic stories. And remember, this is a free-form conversation, so most of the information found here is will be straight from our improvisational skills. Now, without further ado, let's dive in. Here we go. Well, you certainly don't realize that that's in the thing at all. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that now now we're recording. Okay. So. So. So, well, let's let let me preface this recording by saying that this is on Discord, and um, I am sick with probably COVID, and. I am here with Ryan, uh, who hey, is my um, next guest. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to have a fun little session here. Um, yeah. So, Ryan, um, now that we're recording, uh, let's see how all this goes. <laughs> well, between your COVID and voice and my regular voice which i never find appealing when recorded um <laughs> i feel like this might be the worst sounding episode of your podcast yes Although yes we'll, we'll try and make up for that with the quality of our discussions yes good 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 um so we were going to talk about world building today absolutely right um so let, let's preface this, right? You being the creator of the R.I.P. R.I.P. universe, right? Um, yeah. And you have obviously experienced world building in that sense. Uh, me, I have come from much less lofty ideas. I just have a world that I made for my uh, tabletop RPG Dungeons & Dragons setting. Yeah, but it's definitely it's definitely a lot, a lot like there's just so much depth to it that I I have noticed, and I I mean that it's it's kind of inspired me to add more depth to my to my campaign settings and and all that stuff as well. Um, but I feel like, to be honest, I feel like you might have a little bit more experience in the world building aspect than I do when it comes to that kind of like building a uh setting around around certain like uh, aspects of of like lore when it comes from 
like maybe like the Forgotten Realms or like the like the D and D universe and all that stuff. Well, um, there is there is sort of like a like a pervading culture that already exists in the D and D world, right? And that's yeah. Obviously, I draw a little bit, little bit of inspiration from that. There's already so much there, right? Whereas in your case, it's a that world is like your baby, right? It came from yeah. you, right? And you're it's like growing with your help. I would say that my position is a little bit easier based on that. Although I do try to try, I do try and make it not more original, you'd say, right? The ideas are the same, but I try and put my flair to it, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for an example, everybody who makes something, anybody who writes anything, right? Whether it's a novel or a poem or a story or a tabletop RPG setting, um, it's influenced by their experiences, right? By what, and more importantly, what they think is cool, right? You're not going to put yeah. something in your setting, your story, because you don't like it, because it didn't stick in your mind, right? You're going to implement things that you think are eye-catching, are innovative, are enjoyable more than anything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, like when uh, Jaren was on this uh, podcast on your, um, it was your first guest on your videos. He was talking yes. about politics and specifically politics uh, about entertainment industry because he's very passionate about that, right? Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, if say Jaron was to design a world, right, or even more specifically, what he's already done, he's designed a character that has been in both of our games, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and you can see how his. In how his life, how he has, what he's experienced, and what he enjoys has influenced the way that he plays and creates his characters. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, like he, uh, he, kind of, yep. he, he seems to place himself in into the characters. I, I mean, that is like that is the best thing that you can do when it comes to um, kind of building a story around specific specific characters. Um, like for example, when when I'm writing. Uh, my main form of of writing any kind of story is through first person point of view. I always I always want to try to envision myself in in the main character's head, and then trying to build the universe around them, um, and staying directly in that in that perspective is kind of the goal that I that I set for myself so that. It allows the reader to kind of analyze the entire world from a singular perspective because that's the easiest way for us to understand um, certain things because that's how that's how we live. We we live in the, in one perspective, um, and I feel like Jer- when when it comes to Jaron, uh, he definitely he he likes to bring himself in into the character, but then but then I I see him he he is venturing out of of his normal routine and and trying trying to see like different different avenues he might be able to uh go down through different perspectives that he's not he's not used to and that's the joy of of a role-playing game and and being able to experience that kind of stuff that's the main element of adventure right because you're not it's the stereotype right the adventuring party meets in a tavern and they look very different and they're going on a quest together and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the beginning. But if you put yourself in that character's shoes and that character's perspective, like you were saying, 
depending on the backstory that you write, it might make sense that they would come together in this way. They're curious creatures. They might be looking to experience new things. And that's, honestly, that's the reason why, I think that's the reason why people are attracted to like things like uh, tabletop RPGs is because they're looking for a new experience that whether they find it in your game or mine, it's something that they can enjoy and something they can insert themselves in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's let's kind of dive into like world building kind of features, like the maybe like the different like pantheons of of the gods that that might come into play, or um, or like or nations, just the, right? This the setting and the nations, the different cultures that that come out of out of making a world. Um, maybe even maybe even the the and the like the different like plant life that that can kind of be produced throughout the world um you know there's like so many different kinds of, of styles that we could go, go into and so let's let's just let's just start talking <laughs> sure. uh i would like to start with something that's very near and dear to my heart right okay uh when i was playing in your game right and it was the first time i had played rip right it was not the first character I had created, but that's a very different story. It's short, yeah, yeah, we we could we could definitely go into that if you wanted to. <laughs> so my first character in Matt's game, uh, his name was Doom, and that's just one letter. It's D U M M, and that's just one letter off from what he actually was, which is very dumb. <laughs> um, he was a Redicon, a uh, I think it was a Shorosk is the subrace yeah, he, was... he was. Yeah, he. I believe he was a Shorosk. Yeah, he, yeah, he was, I think yeah. he was a Shorosk. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the Shorosk, uh, um, for those who, who do not know, um, Shorosk are the shaman type of like Reticon. They they uh, are infused more with like energy, and they have like a, a more spiritualistic path of like throughout their life on Moriat, um, the pillar of Moriat. And they they worship the tree of life, which is like this grand tree. Um, and so, some some of some people might might have already read uh, the codex entry that I posted about it on my website. But if not, you can go out go go and check it on um, arthurianthologies.com. You'd find uh, the tree of life uh, codex entry there, and you could read read about it. But yeah, go go on go on. Sorry, uh, and. I do enjoy role-playing characters that are unlike myself, which is to say, in this case, uh, Doom was yes. <laughs> not very intelligent and didn't make the best decisions. But yeah. that's part of role-playing a character, is removing yourself from them to the point where you can actually play their part not only well, exactly. but enjoyably, right? And believably for the other people around you at the table. Uh, and when that character died due to a very bad decision which was in character um, and was also yes. the first death literally to like I believe the second session I was playing was... in your game yeah, was that the second session or was that the first session still I feel like it I don't was even remember. oh it was the second session mm-hmm. yeah because uh, yeah, that was the session that, that Nick came in yes 
Um, yeah. And after that, uh, in the the reason why basically Matt allowed me to my character to die so early and me being such a new uh, player at his table is because I had another idea for a character, one that I had thought out better because before I just created Doom on a whim using uh, the little bit of backstory that Matt gave me on the Reticon. And I had already, I had just rolled up the race out of the eight races, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Right, I just yeah. rolled a D8. And it showed up on Shorosk. Um, but this character... This character was a Yen, and you and I discussed a little bit more uh, specifically about the backstory and the world uh, that the Yen perspective is, right? The world perspective on the world of uh, Reborn in Power. Yeah. Um, yeah they, they are a matriarchal society, mainly. <laughs> and uh, from that, I sort of built the character. And one of the moments in terms of world building that stood out to me the most when I was playing that character is that everybody has a homeworld in your setting, right? Like we were yeah. in the Dwarven Citadel and you, uh, everybody had sort of, I'm pretty sure everybody at the table had some sort of knowledge of what their homeworld was. You would inform them of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Ex except me, right? Because, and when I say homeworld, yeah. I mean like a planet because your game's like, it's about space and space travel, and there's whole planets that belong to different pillars, right? D different, different worlds, different cultures. So, like, there's so much that can be kind of built out of yeah. each. Um, yeah, it's it's a space faring mm -hmm. setting, so any and, yeah. anything can is possible. <laughs> and obviously, compared to say my setting, which is Basically, you can imagine it as being a single planet, right, with different nations on it. There's a lot more room. There's a lot more distance between these ideas of different nations and cultures, which allows for more diversity, I would say, more difference in ideas. Certainly, like, in a way of organization, you could say that each of the four pillars, or sorry, not the four is it the four pillars? It's five pillars. Five pillars. <laughs> My point. <laughs> Each of the five pillars could be very culturally distinct from each other in a world-building yeah. sense, and probably are. But one of the moments that uh, stood out to me the most is when you asked at the table, in the middle of a game with everybody else, what is Rydia's homeworld home world like? And that was the name of my character, Rydia, um, a name that some of the people listening might uh find familiar from the final fantasy franchise very yes <laughs> game very near and dear to my heart and influences a lot of my world building in general but that is a story for another time uh and you and you asked what is Rydia's homeworld like and basically i just had to pull a name out of thin air right because it, otherwise the game wouldn't have been able to progress and yeah that is a moment I absolutely love because it's the moment where the DM, the GM, the lore master in this case, has handed, if only ever so briefly, control of the narrative and literally part of the definition of their story to a player. And, yeah. and it's only, I only had to say the name, right? It's, and I came up with Prima's Garden. And I came up with that name because 
when we were discussing the backstory of the Yen, you told me that the god, the divinity that uh, many Yen pray to is Prima. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Grand that, Goddess Prima, mm-hmm. she is beautiful and wise. And, and obviously I didn't know that much about it. I just knew the name, right? And had a general idea yeah. of how she worked in Yen culture. But I just came up with the phrase or with the name Prima's Garden because the idea of like a female Yen figure, right? There's one of the archetypes of like a female goddess is like a Demeter or Ceres type, the harvest goddess. Yeah. So I just thought, oh, she might have a garden, right? Or and that's where her children grow and she tends to them much like like a farmer would their crops or something like that, their progeny. Yeah. And for that very small moment, right? And it didn't need more than that for me to feel, right? Like I was part of the world building process. And, and that that's exactly how I want everyone to, to actually feel when when playing this game, because it it's so massive. The the universe is is always expanding. So when players like like let's say a lore master down the line um has has their own their own like chosen that they're running through out this universe they can come up with worlds all they want and and the game you you played it yourself it is it is like a modular system where where you can customize it how you want you even made up made a skill that could eventually become a, a part of an, an extra expansion um and and the whole point is is for players who who uh, get a chance to experience Reborn in Power. They can customize their own worlds. They can customize their own their own characters how they want, and potentially help expand this universe further than than just me. Just I can expand myself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that's the that's the difference between say a collaborative tabletop game and say writing a novel or even in terms of like modern uh like tabletop gaming they publish adventures right wizards of the coast they publish pre-made adventures and obviously they put their heart and soul into that they put their ideas and their feelings into those products and they try to make them as entertaining as insightful as amazing as they possibly can and i think they go they do that very well but nothing can get close to something that you and your fellow players at a table can make for your setting because only you and your players know what you enjoy only you and your yeah, players exactly. know what you together as a whole can appreciate and that's why there's so much there's so much uh there's no one game that is the same as another game they're all influenced and they're all different from each other based on how the players interact and how they feel and it's shaped by their own experiences that's why people i think will probably always be playing games like reborn in power or dungeons and dragons or pathfinder or other tabletop games because you're never going to find the same story twice it's always a world and a story that you built on your own and that's that's something I think I'd like to talk about is never be afraid to put yourself 
and more than just your character, but your own ideas into your game. Because those ideas are yours, and if you know your players, if you know your friends that are playing with you, as well as you might think you do, it will, you will come up with something that everybody not only enjoys, but resonates with them. They can understand it. They can, you won't be off uh, talking about something you don't understand, or, or nobody else understands. You'll be talking about something that everybody else can get behind. Like when you exactly. talking, yeah, like when you were talking about uh, in your Star Wars game, right? I forget the name of the of the tabletop game. Do you remember? For, Force and Destiny. Yeah. Force the... and Destiny. Yeah, F and D. Yeah, that game was probably as enjoyable as it was because everybody uh, at the table was one familiar with Star Wars and two enjoyed it. Just plain yes. and simple, and yeah, and that's what makes. That's what makes a game and a world in itself an enjoyable thing to play in. Being being familiar with with what you're kind of where you are uh, as as a standpoint from from the character's perspective, like you being familiar with with your surroundings. Um, the 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 more you know about about this the specific area, the better your experience will be, and that's why like like for for example, when in in our current D and D campaign, um, it, it felt like the the beginning, the the beginning of it, uh, the the players we, we weren't we weren't very familiar. Um, the only person that was that was familiar with your with your world was was me because I had played um, two separate campaigns inside your world a little bit, but uh, not not to the extent that we that we we've, we've been playing now, but now. Mm-hmm. With with our current like where we where we are currently, um, you can tell like everyone's kind of getting into the, getting into the character, or uh, we're kind of going back and forth. Have, have that like the different um like just the different personalities that that are filled in each session is is amazing. It, it's it's actually really 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 fun, and that's that's the joy of of being able to experience like a role playing game. Or even a story in like in general, any, any kind of story, be, being able to to kind of envision the different um, the different personalities that are coming from each character, and enjoy the enjoy how they interact with with one another, and um, see how they how they help each other progress throughout throughout the entirety of of the. Um, story or cam- or campaign for for this instance. And I would like to go into more in depth about that and when you were talking about perspectives, right? I would say yes. one of the key factors that separates the skill of a DM versus a player is the idea to take a- into account multiple perspectives of different characters that exist in your story. Obviously, when you're yes. playing as a character in a campaign, you you try to be in character with that character. You try and make their thoughts your thoughts and understand how they would feel about different things that happen to them and they do. But when you're a world builder, when you're a DM, a game master, or a lore master, you have n- literally hundreds of characters that, yes. that I've been keeping tabs. I think 
I think we're at literally 107 NPCs that I've introduced in the current D&D game that we're oh. playing right now. Which, and there's going to be which, way more than that after this. <laughs> well, the more, literally, the more you explore the world, the more NPCs I have to make. And the more NPCs I have to make, the more I pull my hair out. But that's a different, uh, yeah. that's a different problem. <laughs> that's, well, that's a problem I'm sure you've had to deal with. Um, <laughs> I... I... I did not even try to keep count inside inside the Reborn of Power one, yeah. in a different worlds and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I try to maintain consistency, but at the same time, your world is just so expansive that it's sometimes it can be difficult, or not even difficult. Sometimes it just isn't possible to meet the same and to be in the same place to meet the same NPCs over and over again. To have that be yeah. logical, right? To have that be a, an element of the story that is recurring. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we were talking about perspective and world building. It's the idea that you as the DM, the game master, can insert yourselves into multiple perspectives and think like those characters. And the most useful tool I find in understanding a character's perspective in the story is asking yourself a single question. It is, what do they want? And this is something that obviously people creating characters of their own ask about of the characters what they want. That's probably the core of how a character is formed, how their ideas, how their personality as a character and as you play them forms. And obviously yeah. characters develop as you play them over time. But in the beginning, when you're just going through your backstory and sort of making the roughest of edges on your characters... That is the one question that I think is the cornerstone of any character, at least in the beginning. And that tool is what makes it very helpful for a game master who has to think about the motivations and perspective of literally tens of characters at a time. It's the one tool that I think allows DMs to, at a, the click of like a, a, the snap of a finger, at the drop of a hat, assume the role of an NPC character. Like, if we may go into a little bit of depth, if we may expose on a few of our characters, uh, I would say, uh, if I were to talk about Evangeline, right? Yes. Evangeline is a very unique character in that she doesn't, in the current D&D cam campaign that uh, Matt and uh, everybody else is playing in, is a unique character in the fact that she doesn't have a lot of her memories. And in the beginning, you guys didn't really know how far that went back. But later on, you found out that she is at least a thousand years old and doesn't really remember much of any yeah. of that. She has very vague ideas of who she is. She has very little experience that she demonstrates with the world around her. She, doesn't, she isn't even from the area that you guys are currently in. She did, yeah, and, and not even not having any of those memories, like a thousand years worth, is just mm -hmm. mind-boggling. Yeah, and... you can imagine the conundrum that that puts her character in. So, if I were to ask the question, "What does she want?" I would say the the biggest thing on that list is she wants to find out what it is that she's lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, from that motivation, from that question answered, you, I can sort of, even if I don't know 
exactly what she would do, what she would think on a subject. I don't have it written down anywhere in my notes. From that information, I can sort of pull an answer out of the ether that would be appropriate for her character. Matt, do you think you have an example of what that might be in your campaign? Like a character that you don't know super well, you don't have any notes about exactly what they believe in, but from that answering that question, what do they want? You might be able to like reasonably come to it like an answer. Or maybe even you did this before in the campaign, in the uh, RIP campaign that we did. I mean, my my whole thing when it comes to like trying to figure out what characters want um, when making any kind of NPC, it it it's it's that goal. It's that it's that mindset that the character. Anytime you make any kind of character, you you need to know what it is that they desire, or else there's no there's no progression for them. They're not. They're not seeking something out anymore, and and if they're not seeking anything out, I mean there there could be there could be ways that uh, maybe a player like for example, Jaren's character. Jaren is kind of he's a drunken monk, uh, and he he just is drunk most of the time, and it it doesn't seem like his character has any actual goal, but the only goal he has is to survive. And I mean that's that's a goal in itself. So being having having a kind of path, a path towards towards something. With 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 Evangeline, it's 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 to it's to you know find out what she lost. Uh, with with Eothos, my character currently, it's to it's to become powerful enough to uh, return home and face those who threaten his threaten his uh culture and his and his society um with other characters that like have been featured inside reborn in power um it's it's the goal to make sure that everyone everyone in the core is safe or the goal like the goals of of the main villain the main big big bad evil guy that you feature inside inside the campaign. We we just we just fought a, a deep like a demon. I don't know if he was a demon overlord or or something like that. But inside D and D, one of one of the main characters, um, Uriel, she is a a tiefling, and she uh, just we, we just we just got uh, kind of almost TPK'd by a demon and that demon seemed to have one goal in mind and that was to, to get Uriel. Uh, we don't necessarily know exactly the full reasoning behind it, but all we know is that Uriel is being chased by some kind of demonic presence that mm-hmm. and ob- yeah, obviously figure out. Yeah. As the person that is not behind that backstory, Oscar is behind that backstory, right? Yeah, yeah. Ethos, you in character, can only guess at the reason why that happens, right? But you can engage them in a role-playing setting and find out what they will tell you, what they might tell you, right? What they may tell you might be wrong, might be a lie. But either way, it's a way that the characters can explore each other's backstories, not just 
when the backstory comes to meet you, but you literally going and engaging in conversation in order to find out, hey, why did this person come and try and kidnap you? What what do yeah. you what relationship do you have with them? And that plus yeah, yep. yeah plus plus having the backstories it, it allows for um everyone to be a part of the world building process. <laughs> Just like how before you, you said like when, when I had asked you um what Rydia's homeworld is like, and then you said Pri- Prima's garden and, and all that stuff. It's the it's the process of of which the players get to choose how how the world has been shaped around around their character um, from before they started this this adventure. Absolutely, yeah. and I would say that that might be in sort of a like a real world meta context. That might be the one thing that might be sort of scary for new people because as i'm sure you've noticed i have too that you are definitely the most experienced person at the table currently for my game yeah and so because of that because you're more comfortable playing a character because you're more familiar with role playing in general that ethos tends to be the spearhead in most conversations he tends to initiate most encounters he tends to not be the center of attention but be the character that is most likely to interact with other characters. Yeah. And that just comes from your experience role-playing, right? So if I had this to recommend to anybody who is a player, right? And anybody who is new to the idea of writing a story with your friends in like a tabletop setting, never be afraid to interact with anybody else at the table or Anybody, including like NPCs or stuff like that, because that's how a story develops. If this were a video game, right, it would just be a hallway that you walk down and eventually you do things and the story develops and it all comes to a head and then it's over. And before you open the box and put the disc in whatever you're playing it on, the story was a foregone conclusion. But that's not how it, it works with games like We're Born in Power. Uh in that game, like you were talking about with customizability, the story in, a, in that sense is customizable, not just because the DM is the one that, or the lore master is the one that is controlling like the story elements of it, but it is driven by the interactions of the players and how they interact with the world of Reborn and Power. Yeah. Yeah. Just being able to react react as as if you are immersed into mm-hmm. that that new world yeah. um my whole th- my whole philosophy when it comes to, to these games and and storytelling in general um is that i want to immerse myself into what it is i am creating what it is i am playing um so like you know you, sometimes you uh, you, you you stay inside you know you you're you're grounded in re- in reality um and it's it's difficult when when uh, other things are are happening all at once and you know sometimes sometimes you get distracted but but when it comes to when it comes to playing any kind of game and like and immersing yourself into a, a into a sp- perspective that is separate from yours um you want to immerse yourself into it you want to you want to be um you want to like, you want to act as yeah you want to act as if you are that person um mm-hmm. and 
there are there are many experienced role players who who are able to do this. Um, that and mainly like actors, for example, or like probably the the general kind of understanding of, of how this works is that when when someone is is acting out a role inside a, a movie or TV show, they have to they have to envision themselves as that person and what would happen in case like a, a, a random scenario happens, even if it's not even written inside um, inside the the script, they have to envision what that what that character would do in that specific uh, scenario and not what they would do, but what the character would do. And that is like the, the immersion effect of, of these games. And a lot of actors, if, if, if anyone is, is wanting to be an actor playing role-playing game is probably the, one of the best things to do to practice because it just, it just helps with that drive to immerse yourself into, into a different, into a different personality mm -hmm. and obviously if i had to say a player is sort of attuned to an actor the the lore master the game master is more in line with the idea of being a novelist being a, like a story writer a story there's a reason why we say storytelling when we talk about the idea of making a game and playing it with in like a lore master capacity as like you and i know there's it's controlling the story but also at the same time like telling it like collaboratively with everybody else at the table yeah, that's that's the beautiful part about these games that's why i play these games more so than any kind of like video game because it's the narrative component of it that allows for so much freedom because there is that that reaction where where you where the the game master or the lore master or dungeon master the master of the story uh <laughs> they are able to ask a question hey you they, they basically tell, tell us tell the scene how it is explaining oh there's like a forest around around you around you the fauna um are illuminated surrounding you with with different uh fumes of an, an, an aura um and and you see like a star a starry night sky and all that stuff but then a, a twig is like is kind of broken in in the in, a, in the bush next to you uh what do you do and do then do? The, that is the favorite the player, phase of all dms right yes what what do you do and then the player gets to try to figure out what is going on in that specific area that they're at mm -hmm. and that's the beauty of these games is that you get to interact in, into a world and maybe maybe you're maybe you want to leave that area don't don't be one of those stupid people who go who goes into the the scary dungeon because you because you know that you'll probably not come back alive um or you can go in uh, guns blazing which most people tend to do um and yeah, they they will probably experience something that they never thought they would likely experience. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I would like to talk about is the idea that there's a moment where as a person playing a role playing game in especially in the world that you've built, 
right? Yourself, between you and me. It's the moment where you pass the torch to the player and you say, what do you do? And it goes from you driving the story as the, uh, the master of the game to them. And specifically, the greatest example that I can think of in terms of that moment is the idea of a skill challenge. At least this is how it works in uh, D&D, is that an obstacle has been presented, some sort of activity needs to be accomplished. And the players with their characters need to work together and not just create, not just uh, collaboratively, but creatively uh, find a way to deal with this challenge. Specifically, uh, I have just a generic example. There's the idea that you are fleeing from, you and your party are fleeing from a giant monster that is gaining on you in your car. And you say, what do you do to help you escape? What do you do to impede the chase and get away safely from this threat that is chasing you? And the rogue in the party might say, oh, I take out my ball bearings, my bag of ball bearings, and scatter them on the ground to try and trip them up. And then they roll, and the DM will think about what they say and say, oh, okay, roll a... um, well, a sleight of hand check to make sure that you can, uh, in the time while you're running, most efficiently scatter your ball bearings to disrupt the enemy that's following you. And they roll, and whether they do well or not, the DM, the DM has liberty to choose, okay, this player has described what they're going to do, they've done it well, they've done it succinctly, they were obviously thinking and of their character and what they might do in that moment, and it's your, I would say, duty to reward that good role-playing, to take into account the effort that that player has put into thinking what their character would do in that situation. Exactly. And that's, not only is that a rewarding moment for the player, that's a proud moment for the game master. They've put Um, an obstacle in front of the players with faith that the players and their characters will be able to overcome it somehow. That's the basis of any encounter in a role-playing game. It's you put challenge, you put difficulty in front of your players, and they will find you have faith as the storyteller that they will find a way to overcome it. And obviously, it's the DM's tools to, to make sure it's the DM's responsibility to make sure that they have the tools and the knowledge that they need to. But it's always up to the player to utilize that those not that knowledge, those skills. Yes, and this is something. I, yeah, this is something I haven't employed in our game yet because I everybody here is rather new to D and D. But I'm thinking next time we get together, I'm thinking at some point if I see the opportunity, I might spring one of these. Yes, that would be fun. <laughs> it will be interesting to see how everybody reacts. I'm I'm very excited for our next D and D session. Um, I'm I'm upset that I just got sick, so mm-hmm. that. That's the sad part about all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, I did recently get a new miniature for uh, Eothos. Oh, <laughs> the one you were showing me. Yeah, I, I, I got that one, and then uh, um, Amanda got her Nazkeen miniature that I got her for her birthday. So that's, that's so, good. You're such a good boyfriend, man. Like, <laughs> maybe. Oh, sorry. Maybe Amanda will listen to this, and uh, she'll like make a squeeze sound when I say this, but. Man, you're such you're such a good boyfriend to Amanda specifically. Right. Yeah, we uh, we have a good relationship. Hopefully, 
maybe maybe she'll want to come on to the to record an oh, episode. Um, next guest star on the list. Maybe maybe we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but let's go back to world building. Yes, we've yeah. gone off on a tangent. <laughs> uh, and that's fine. I I, I like tangent. Um, but let's go into maybe like the building of the world. Where where do you start when when you when you start kind of thinking up your of your nation of or what whatever wherever you're going to be placing the main characters. How do you begin that process? So if I'm going to take this in probably the easiest way that I can, I would be talking about a D&D setting because that's basically what my world that I made is. And let me start with a preface that you definitely do not need to make your own world to run a tabletop game. There's so many different supplemental resources from many different publishers. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that will offer you not only a world that has most of its sort of foundations placed, but there's so many that will offer the genre that you're looking for, whether it's Force and Destiny, if you're looking for a more, or Reborn in Power, if you're looking for a more sci-fi <laughs> theme, shameless plug, um, or if you're looking for like a more high fantasy adventure kind of thing, or if you're looking for like a, not super high tech, but like low tech, like a cyberpunk kind of thing, no spaceships, but... There are, more than likely than not, a type of role-playing setting has already been created that is will be very appealing to you and the people at your table. With that out of the way, where I would start, if, uh, thinking about where I'd want to place players in a campaign in my world, in my setting. The first thing, the thing that I prioritize the most, right, is depending on how much backstory they've given me, it's always nice to have one of the characters to start the campaign in a place that is familiar to at least one of the characters. Uh, not just, and not just to the characters, but maybe even to the players, depending on whether or not you've uh, gamed in, this, in your setting, in this setting, and with these people before at your table. Uh, but the reason for that is that... Uh, it's a very easy way in a sort of meta way to sort of give information to your players about your setting that they're the setting that they are in because it can be a little bit intimidating to start a new campaign. It's not just for the DM, but for the players as well. And it helps when the DM has a sort of an easy method to, in a non-meta way, sort of give information. Perhaps they can roll. That's what the history skill is for. That's what the arcana skill is for. It's for understanding and gaining knowledge. If they, if they want to, if they have a possibility, the group of knowing something that's about this particular area, you're just giving them more tools with which to role play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would prioritize, I would say, putting it in a place where at least one of the characters has an element of familiarity familiarity that you can then give them information okay so um with that being said uh so if let's say let's say the world has kind of expanded out from away from the starting nation um 
how would you how would you expand out into into the different uh the different variations of of cultures that might might present themselves um or like the maybe maybe if the players uh, explore to explore into a uh maybe like an underground society of dwarves or something like that <laughs> and they and they're unfamiliar with with this how 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 would how much how might you um kind of incorporate that into the world um matt i will be brutally honest i received a call and the beginning of your of your statement was cut off oh. <laughs> no no worries <laughs> so um, but yeah. so so my question is how would you explore into a into a different nation that is or different culture um from your start from from where you started to the, the next area um and this might be like an area where maybe maybe the players or the or like the the main the main characters that that are in in the story um are unfamiliar with completely like they have mm-hmm. no no idea how 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 would you begin that process and in, in weeding them into that into that area so this is the part where I would say I'm probably a little bit nicer than maybe a few DMs out there in the sense that if the players are coming into an area that they have no prior experience with, the only thing they know about it are uh, the only things they know about it are things that they may have rolled to learn, right? Or things that maybe their backstory has allowed them some sort of small information, whether or not that's accurate or not is up to the DM. But uh, I would be a little bit nicer in the sense that it's nobody has fun at the table when you're plunged into an area that you don't know, and then you decide, hey, I'm going to pursue this course of action, and you fall into a pit and die. Your character is dead. There's yeah. no way. There's no way to get out of this. <laughs> no, nope. roll a new character. Um, nobody, <laughs> it, that might be funny for maybe one or two minutes, but by the end of it, somebody is going to be having a bad time at the table and your goal as the dm is to make sure that everybody has a fun time at the table that is the number one right it doesn't matter whether or not the score the story went in the direction that you thought it was going to it doesn't matter if your big bad guy was was polymorphed into a chicken and thrown out a window that that's all fun (laughs) right the most important thing is to make sure that everybody has fun so what i would do in that sense is uh if the characters are going to pursue something like a course of action, like I'm going to light a torch and look around and see what's happening. I'm not going to say your torch attracts uh, three drow that come and skewer you with arrows and your entire party dies. What would be a better way to sort of enforce the idea that your actions have consequences in this story, which by the way is one of my favorite uh, themes of any tabletop game is that, the player's actions always have consequences, um, is that upon lighting the torch, you begin to hear uh, footsteps or shouts coming from another direction. It shows, and this highlights to the players, okay, I've lit my torch, but I'm not alone. Some, something else has noticed us. And then they can quickly decide, okay, I want to snuff the torch, or I want to alert my comrades that something is happening so we can prepare for battle. That's, I would say, constructive storytelling. Whereas... If the DM just says, okay, you light the torch, and all of a sudden a giant bug falls from the ceiling and crushes your party flat, 
That's not only is it not fun, right? It's not constructive. It doesn't teach the player. Yeah, they, they have to have they have to have an opportunity to to uh, kind of avoid whatever it is that yeah. is coming towards them. Yeah, to learn from what from the pursuit, like from the idea that they've um to learn from what they've done. Now that's not to say that uh decisions shouldn't have grim consequences. They should never there should never be a sense in your game that decisions don't matter because that's no fun at all. That's something that you sh- that all DMs I think should try to avoid at all cost and I think they I think that's pretty clear. What should be happening is that whenever there is a decision with heavy consequences there should always be an understanding from the players about what they're doing. That's in my case, that's what I always try to shoot for whenever there's an important decision to be made. Nobody likes it when a surprise happens and there are extremely grim consequences and there was no hint at all that anything like that would happen. That's a very select uh, element of storytelling that generally I believe should not have such grim consequences. There should be surprises that nobody saw coming, but it should never result in something so permanent, something so grim, like player death. Uh, what there should be when there are grim consequences is a complete understanding. Whenever there's a dramatic moment, whenever, say, a player is holding a, as a, a bridge, a rope bridge is collapsing over a chasm, and one of the players decides... I'm going to grab hold of the rope bridge on this end so it doesn't collapse into the chasm so everybody else can get across. And the pursuing goblins are going to be obviously up on this person that's trying to hold the bridge. The person, yeah. the char- the person that makes this decision about their, what their character is going to do knows full well that if they sit on this side of the chasm and hold this bridge so everybody else in the party can get across, they are going to be very hard pressed to make it across this chasm and obviously (laughs) it's it that's obvious to the person that's making that decision but number one is it in character and two is it something that the player is okay with making this decision and obviously it doesn't need to be grim maybe the uh barbarian has a potion of fly that they can then chug after or maybe even better one of the other players, after they make it across safely, uh, will shoot an arrow onto the other side and uh, with a rope attached that will allow them to sort of swing across to the other side of the chasm. That, not only is it a good story uh, where decisions by the characters matter, but the characters worked together to achieve a common goal. I agree. Yeah, that... that I, it reminds me... It, it reminds me kind of of... of uh... The one time where where we were inside the uh, the dun the the dungeon underground and and there was that acid pit, <laughs> and uh, every and the we had to we had to jump from each platform that would that would uh, lower every time we we'd land on one and the other one would, would raise up and it made it harder to uh, to jump from each plat- platform, and then uh, and then Amanda's character Nazkeen. Uh, fell in. Wait, I believe it was it was her character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then we'd have to like keep ju- jumping from one one place to another, and and catch each other. And 
wow, that was that was intense. That was an intense time. I remember we we almost died like within the within like three sessions of playing. <laughs> well, the important thing for me, at least as a DM, is that it's unmistakable the present danger that that represents. Right? You see, you were standing on a ledge of the party, and you saw, oh, there's a pit of green boiling acid at the bottom. Yeah. That is an unmistakable way to show, okay, if something happens here, right, if I roll badly or if I make a bad decision, then there will be consequences to that. Now, the consequences yeah. might be very dire, right? Your character might get dissolved in green acid. But at least the party knew full well what might happen if something went wrong, and therefore they can plan in case something like that happens. And in my world, yeah. when, I, when I want to make tension when i want to make something dramatic i never want to make it solely in the hands of one character or in the hands of no characters is even worse but i always try to make any sort of interaction cooperative because nobody likes it when they're sitting at the table and they're they feel like their character has nothing to add to the situation Everybody in that situation had something to add because you always needed to balance the platforms as you were crossing that area. Uh, yeah. So the, you need to uh, go in pairs, and being in pairs provokes the uh, opportunity to speak in character, right? And to react in character to what you're doing. In my world, I always try and strive to create those situations. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, and uh, you were going to say that, Matt. Uh, be, uh, being being able to uh, to experience everything like kind of together as, as it's a team building exercise, basically. Like e each each game session is is a team building exercise. Being able to try to uh, come up with with ideas that might be able to like beat the whatever circumstances you're you're in at that current moment but the only way you could you could do so is if you do it together mm -hmm. and um and that's the, the entire game is is about is about um coming together as as a team and kind of defeating whatever whatever is standing in front of you um, i remember uh reading a meme on the internet on the interwebs <laughs> Um, that described how uh, to describe uh, playing D&D games as a beneficial uh, extracurricular activity for resume yeah. stuff. And yeah. what it boils down to is, yeah, refer to D&D games as collaborative problem solving between groups. Yes. That's because that's really what it is. And it's doing so. It is. Not only is it doing so, it's in a creative way that it's supposed to be the interaction between characters, but it's also the interaction between players at the table. And obviously and that, it, yeah. It helps a lot too with with being able to communicate and like and um just as I, I remember uh my my buddy Tyler, who was our last guest guest star, um he before before we started playing these games, he he wasn't he wasn't very talkative um but but as soon as as soon as we got into role playing games he became super charismatic after after a few after like a few months and and he he had he's just very good at talking now um when it comes to uh, trying to kind of 
maybe going out for a an interview for a new job or something like that. Um, and yeah, that's something that I don't think the spotlight is on when people think about role playing games. Role playing games are sure there are moments when you're going to be rolling dice to try and hit goblins across the, the way with your longbow or rolling strength checks to see if you can climb up the side of a cliff face. But even more so than that, I would say maybe a 60-40 split. 60%, I would say, of the game is a social interaction, a conversation. It's between either the two players that are in character or between a player and an NPC or anything, any number of combinations like that. And it's specifically the ability to speak not... To speak and describe a situation is a very important, not in similarly to life itself, right? It's important to be able to get your narrative across. I, I know for a fact that when I uh, started running D&D games, I would trip over my words all the time, right? But, and I still do, but that's, a, yeah. I've gotten yeah, much that... better yeah, at expressing Dang. my, like through my words, the, like my surroundings, the situation, the, picture that i'm trying to paint with my words to everybody because uh i don't play with a match right i don't don't play with squares or models or minis or that kind of thing so it all depends on my ability to describe the surroundings and sometimes i trip up sometimes i fail but i would say that most of the time i can very easily and with the hand of a few uh hand-drawn pictures adequately describe the situation to my players matthew has lost his mic oh the joys of uh, communicating via Discord in the coronavirus pandemic, uh, not only stealing our game time, but also making sure we can't record podcasts on uh, to post on the internet. Uh, the world is ending, and well, that's as good a signal as anybody or as anything to uh, end this episode. Uh, Matt, thank you for having me on. Uh, it is a pleasure, and I look forward to playing more in your world and you playing more in mine. Thank you and uh, signing off. I thank you for listening to our conversation. Be sure to stay up to date with this podcast as I plan for Ryan to make another appearance. Next time, hopefully we will both be in person to bring to you a fantastic conversation. In the meantime, As we close in on the release date of Reborn in Power, there are a few things you may wish to know before your chosen creation. Therefore, next week I will be detailing out the Agarash Illumin, which is the main calendar of the core. This way you have a better understanding of some of the terms I use when going over dates and times. Once again, if you'd like to support me, you can donate to my Subscribestar account, Reborn in Power, or check out my website at ArthurianAnthologies.com. I will be posting this podcast up on Subscribestar and the website, so keep a watchful eye. Until then, be safe, stay safe, and if death comes to you, may you be reborn in power.